Centuries of freedom have taught us to think in terms of continuous improvement of an always better future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. As usual, I'm still Matthew Housebarby, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Knight. Hey, Matt, and hello to everyone listening. So off the back of our interview on the first episode of Series 3 that we had with Bram Cohen, the co-founder of Chia and creator of BitTorrent, um, which we did last week, we're going to follow up with another real heavy hitter guest. And if you've followed the podcast for some time now, you'll know that we've actually talked a fair bit about what IBM has been doing in the space. Yeah. Yeah. This has been like fairly interesting to us. We've, we've actually mentioned them a few times in the podcast. And then we ended up receiving an email from the IBM team working on blockchain stuff, uh, saying that it would be great to have somebody from their core team on the show. Yeah, so this has been, we've had Bram, we've had someone from IBM. I'm telling you, Tim Berners-Lee is going to be next. <laughs> He's the only Tim one Bayon. that we have consistently mentioned who still has not reached out to us. <laughs> I know, I've been checking my cell phone, there's no text message, my WhatsApp. I'm just waiting to be added by him personally, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it was great that uh, the IBM team have, have made the offer. We obliged, of course. And it's actually worth mentioning, just as a side note here, that if you are listening to the show and you're a fan of the show, you know of a great guest, maybe maybe that guest is you. Uh, well, let us know by dropping us a quick email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. And you might get yourself or someone who you'd really like to hear us interview featured on the show. Yeah, we're always open to suggestions. So while you're at it, uh, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we are bringing a summary of all of the latest news from the blockchain industry. Some of the stuff that we cover here on the show, but also a bunch more stuff that, of course, we're not able to fit into our 30 to 45 minute slot. So to sign up, simply go to thecoinoffering.com forward slash crypto dash news. Yeah. And on the note of news, another seamless transition by by Matt on the <laughs> podcast, uh, we, should, we should discuss a few things that have happened over the past week. I know one that you pinged me in our in our Slack channel where we chat about a bunch of this stuff was around a pretty interesting blockchain utopian village that's being created in the Nevada desert, right? Why don't you give a bit of an overview of what's yeah, going on? This there? this was one where like I just read the headline on Google News and I was I was immediately like, I'm sending this to Matt. I don't even need to read the article. <laughs> so the the title was A cryptocurrency millionaire is buying up land in Nevada's desert to build a utopian village run on Ethereum. <laughs> That um, ticks all the boxes for me. <laughs> yes, that is excellent. Uh, so the guy behind this project, Jeffrey Burns, he's actually planning a city that would run entirely on blockchain. And according to Business Insider, quote, instead of government and big corporations in control, the blockchain-based city would put power in the hands of the people and used cryptocurrency as the coin of the realm. What could go wrong? What could go wrong here? <laughs> I, I, we we were chatting a little bit about this outside of the podcast, and it does. Uh, I, I think you've watched that Netflix documentary, right? With um, oh, what was the what was the guy's name? Where it was like in a, a, a random like part of the U.S. and they set up this big ass cult and stuff. Yeah, that was uh, that was the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country. It was about Rajneeshpuram, oh, yeah. which was uh, Bhagwan Sri. Rajneesh's uh, community that was actually in Wasco County, Oregon. And I think that they overtook, they, they like overtook this yeah. tiny town called Antelope and all of this stuff. Super bizarre, but it's a very similar 
premise just with uh i guess like blockchain being the religion in this case <laughs> <laughs> that was actually such a good documentary if for anyone listening if you actually haven't watched wild wild country side note go watch it blows your mind i was like hooked on that stuff and uh the reason why actually i think this is quite similar in like its makeup to some of the story okay let's escape how that without giving any spoilers on the documentary things didn't end up that well uh but so <laughs> the uh from the new york times i read also covered this and we'll share out some of these links in the in the show notes but uh, I'm just going to quote from from the article here. It says, The Nevada County where all this is located, Story County, has only about 4,000 residents and was best known until recently for its history of silver mining and its modern brothels, including one owned by a county commissioner. I think, do those two things yeah. go hand in hand, maybe? I, <laughs> I don't know, but this is this is the land. Uh, that they are planning to overtake Jeffrey and whoever else is going to be working on this. With that said, even though we are totally shitting on this right now, there are some very interesting and legitimate components to this. Um, So there's a huge focus on innovative technologies changing the way that residents interact like on a daily basis and having blockchain be at the center of all of that. And Burns is actually funding all of this himself. He said that he spent $300 million on the land, the offices, the planning, a staff of 70 people. And he's brought, he's actually purchased 67,000 undeveloped acres of land. And uh, he intends to turn, (laughs) yeah, I know, like what, like an entire state basically, right? Um, But he said that even even after all of this investment, his ambition isn't to be a real estate magnet or even to get rich or richer for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to give it all away and put the decision making power for the project into the hands of the people, as well as 90 percent of any dividends that it generates, which I, I think is very uh, interesting. I think so. Uh, yeah. I When we were reading up on this, like the structure in which he's talking about like setting up these dividend payments where he'll they'll give 90% of any of the dividends to like a corporate structure is what he said and uh, that'll be held by residents employees and future investors but the structure here the corporate structure he calls it a distributed collaborative entity which is like buzzword central but um <laughs> it's it's supposed to basically this this entity is going to operate on a blockchain where everyone's ownership rights, their voting powers um, will all be recorded in some form of like digital wallet. And I do think that this is quite interesting because when I first saw the headline, I was like, okay, another like libertarian pipe dream thing that's come up because that we have seen a lot of these, these things come up where people are buying islands in Malta and they're like, I'm going to make this libertarian state funded by this ICO that I just launched. But I feel like from digging into this more, this seems pretty legit. In fact, like the the state of Nevada have like backed this. Like this he, yeah. he has like there's full design drawings and like there's been uh visualizations they're calling it like the blockchain city, I think something like that. And uh there's like a giant innovation center. They're going to have yeah. pretty much everything kind of be self-sustaining within there and the idea behind this is that it'll be out of the reach of the government big corporations i think one of the things that i saw within um what what jeffrey burns has said was like one of the decision making process for choosing nevada outside of the shit ton of land that there was there uh, <laughs> was the fact that there's like next to i think there's zero income tax or, or, yeah. and gains tax mm-hmm. in there as well so yeah i think they're trying to build an entire ecosystem but it does it does scream cult like to a certain extent but hey yeah i mean yeah. it's it's fascinating though i i will be watching to see what what happens with this because one of the fundamental differences like from that parallel that we drew with rajneeshpuram is that the people mm-hmm. of oregon never wanted rajneeshpuram to be in oregon yes and so that created a bunch of problems for them but of course as you mentioned matt it sounds like the nevada government is open to this and is actually supporting it to a degree so that could kind of change 
uh, the likelihood that something like this could be successful. We'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, Story County is probably going to have to trade in its uh, silver mining picks for some crypto mining rigs. And maybe, who knows, maybe it's modern brothels. We'll see a rise in patrons. Uh, <laughs> we, will, we will soon find out. Um, but in, in other news, uh, a report came out from Forrester Research. Uh, if, if you haven't heard of Forrester, really well-respected, well-known, major uh, research uh, company. And it says that many blockchain companies are actually ditching the word blockchain from either, not necessarily from like within their company name, but like in the way that they're talking about their technology in favor for really focusing a lot more on the term DLT. So you've probably heard myself and Austin talk about DLT in the, and this is distributed ledger technology. Um, over the word blockchain. And just to clarify what DLT is, this is ultimately an umbrella term for any distributed ledger technology that could include the likes of blockchain, um, which is used in Bitcoin, on Ethereum, and many, many, many others. The, the prime, like probably the large number of cryptocurrencies out there are running on blockchain. But there are other technologies that are distributed ledger technologies that aren't technically blockchains. One of the more popular DLTs in here is a DAG, a directed acyclic graph. And that's what's used on projects like IOTA. Um, definitely in the minority, but DAGs are something that we have touched on a little bit in the past, especially when we're talking about consensus models, but are becoming more and more popular. But I think there's also another yeah. undercurrent here, right, of why some of these companies are, are starting to move away from blockchain in their name as well. Yeah, and I think that's really, that's the big story here. So the report states, quote, while blockchain is an important new technology, some firms are overhyping its usefulness or simply repackaging its existing services, which is a practice that Forrester describes as blockchain washing. I think that's really what's happening is uh, that there's a shift away from the word blockchain because it's being associated with hype or scams I and companies are it, trying Austin. to distance. Yeah, <laughs> I have never heard hype I know. related to blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> that has become a meme on this show. But, I, uh, I mean, unsurprisingly, you know, a company, uh, uh, companies would try to distance themselves from that, that type of a negative association to a term or a whitewashing of a term. But, uh, of course, we also know that in general in tech, acronyms are just cooler. So this is kind of a little bit of a switch made in heaven, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Acronyms are the key to bringing in more dollars, I assume, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, one of the things that the report states when, uh, when I was looking through it, right, it says um, the networks that are live or underdeveloped are, or under development, sorry, vary greatly and frequently lack key characteristics that many regard as essential components of a blockchain. Well, I mean, that that in itself sounds like it probably shouldn't be labeled a blockchain. But they, they also said that, like, from a lot of the research they did around his, like, from consumers, that the term blockchain can carry negative, in quotes, Wild West connotations of cryptocurrency. And I think this is really, I mean, if you listened, I think it was like one of the third or fourth last episodes we did, Austin, of the last series when we were talking a bit about ICOs and giving a bit of a retrospective there. I feel like to join some dots together, the ICO boom that happened and the resulting kind of surfacing of a lot of dying projects. Um, has probably yeah. contributed largely to to this piece, right? Yeah, absolutely. With that said, though, the report isn't down on blockchain or distributed ledger technology itself. Uh, this is more of just a critique of the public messaging and the terminology that's used in this space. So definitely mm. uh, the tech is still legitimate, but perhaps some of the terminology around it isn't. Uh, and I think it's interesting that now, you know, big firms like Forrester are, are starting to point to this. Yeah, I think so. I, I feel like for 
companies that are going after, and this is a bit of an assumption, but based on some of the stuff from the report and just from us covering this space for so long, if you're a company and you're targeting working with other enterprise companies, for example, I, I kind of can understand this in maybe packaging up your product offering to be more described as like DLT technology, well, distributed ledger technology versus just blockchain. Because I do think that even when I say blockchain more and more, I can I feel that connotation coming into that word a lot more. I feel I feel like there'll almost be like a cheapening of that that word because it's being thrown around and applied so so loosely. Yeah. And on the note of companies, this is just another seamless transition. Again, I, I'm full of them today. <laughs> on the note of companies going after enterprise deals, uh, we should jump into our, our main feature. So today, we're going to be speaking with Jerry Cuomo, the VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. And as you'll know, we've talked a few times about IBM, what they've been doing in the blockchain space. So we decided it was about time that we spoke to someone from Big Blue, and have them come on the show. Jerry, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. It's great to have you uh, take out the time to come on the show and speak with us. It's absolutely my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. No, of course. So, why don't we jump straight in? Most of our listeners have likely heard of that tiny little company, IBM. Uh, but could you share a bit of background on how you personally got involved, in particular, into the the blockchain space? Oh, uh, that that's a it's an interesting story in the sense that my my past at IBM has certainly recently revolved around things having to do with transaction processing. So I worked on one of uh, IBM's big uh, platforms for web-based transaction processing known as WebSphere. So you could put it this way. I put my kids through school through transaction processing and (laughs) uh, on the web. So if you've been to eBay or any of the online banking websites that all of us do either on our phone or through the web, you've probably seen our work. But, you know, over the years, we've been spending time on mobile and artificial intelligence and IOT. And in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, you know, what's happening with transaction processing? Is it keeping up with the Joneses? You know, is it, is it evolving on the same plane as everything else? And one would say no, you know, a couple of years ago, certainly. And when I was first introduced to blockchain, and it was initially, you know, the blockchain under Bitcoin. And then very quickly after that, you know, when I saw Ethereum, I'm like, you know, there's life for transaction processing after all. And I was very excited about that. Um, <laughs> and uh, not just maybe putting my kids through school, but maybe my kids will put their kids through school. <laughs> with <Right>. technology. <laughs> so, so you know, really got excited about not as much, you know, I, I would say I am neutral or, you know, I think it, I have a lot to be thankful for, for what Bitcoin and Ethereum has done with respect to really bringing this thing out that we know as blockchain, this this architecture design pattern way for businesses to interact together. I'm interested in, in, in that, certainly, but I see that as one of, let's say, a thousand use cases of the technology. And I'm certainly interested in the other 999 use cases as well. And that's kind of what really started the, the creative juices flowing, not just of my my team in IBM that was focused on things like either you know transaction processing or cryptography you know it brought different groups together within IBM we called our, ourselves informally the chain gang because we were kind of a volunteer army you know inside IBM or hobbyist enthusiasts you know back in 2014 2015 yeah. Later, later, like in, in uh, 2016, the group was actually created as a business unit, you know, with profit and loss statement and things like that. So it became a business for IBM. But back then, we were just drawn to it because it was a way for us to express, express our art, whether our art was transaction processing, cryptography, data technology, really brought these things together in a very interesting and modern way. 
And then, you know, and then it all started happening. And I'll be glad to talk more about that as you ask me more questions. Absolutely. I, I think that when you mention, you know, one out of a thousand use cases being cryptocurrency and how there's these 999 other use cases, certainly as I've been following IBM's exploration into blockchain, uh, it's become obvious that you all are at the front of identifying those use cases. And that's certainly something that we've been so interested in uh, as we've been running this show for a short time to the point where I think that a lot of the time, whenever you hear hear the, the word blockchain mentioned uh, in context to a company, especially in context to enterprise, IBM is usually at least in the same article, if not in the headline. Um, so I would love it if you could give us a run through of you know, why the company, this company with so much history, uh, so much invention and reinvention is so bullish on this technology as, as such a core piece of its strategy today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fundamental in the sense that it's we have business in our name. So we, we see this as, you know, completely transformative and especially how businesses interact. No no business today runs in, in, in isolation. We all work with in the context of B2B networks or consortiums or industry standard groups. You know, n- no company runs, you know, solo. And the the thing what what's inspiring about blockchain it's it's so simple uh, but so powerful it's really this thought about the group being able to achieve more than in any individual member can achieve by themselves really mm-hmm. so it's really about bringing the power of the group together to achieve things you know first and foremost around cost and and being efficient in 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 cost savings but i think once you start on the journey you quickly see there's new business processes that you haven't even imagined before. So, so that's what excites the IBM Corporation. You know, we're about business. We're about bringing businesses together. We're about technology, and this is the perfect store. And we are a big business ourselves, and we do not run <laughs> in isolation. So, you know, what was really interesting in the beginning of our kind of work on blockchain was our CEO Ginny Rimetti basically saying, look, you know, I don't want you just to talk to talk, but we have to walk the walk as a company. So yes, let's go out and really look at reimagining blockchain from the ground up from a technology perspective. But we, you know, we have to be a blockchain business in a sense that, you know, some of our business processes, especially around supply chain, let's dive in with both feet. And we're now a member of three blockchain networks with our business partners. On uh, within our global finance network, within our um, our supplier, know your supplier network, mm-hmm. and a, uh, a network for asset management. So we are again not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. We business is in our name, and we believe this transform. This is already showing today how businesses transform the way they collaborate. But I, I will say one other thing: being a guy that's been around the block for a while here in technology, it's rare in life that you can work on something that can do good for humanity. So it's not, it, it is all the things that businesses hope for, but really at the top of the pyramid, it's good for us. Good for us as people. Um, it's good for us as citizens. And it's good for us as people in business. So and, and specifically, when we talk about blockchain for good, some of the use cases that we're really seeing that are hitting their stride here at the end of 2018, things like our food trust network, you know, mm-hmm. trying to eliminate uh, foodborne illnesses, you know, the, the number of people that get sick or die from uh, bad food around the world is still a significant problem here in, in 2018. And, you know, we are just starting to make some very transformative strides in being able to digitize the location of, uh, of different types of food, or sorry, digitize the, the origin uh, of food at its, its location, and then track that food, again, digitally from its origin to the shelf at a store, perhaps at Walmart. And um, 
Frank Giannis from Walmart. He and I testified in front of Congress earlier this this year, and he made the uh, folks at Congress uh, clap, which I haven't seen before. <laughs> but he, he he was recalling a board meeting where where they did a, a little test, uh, a before and after test to track sliced mangoes from the, uh, the one of their Walmart stores from the shelf. Uh, it took seven days approximately to track the mangoes back to the source of origin uh, without blockchain. And it took 2.2 seconds to track the mangoes back to their origin on um, the Food Trust Network. So, you know, Frank says that's, that's tra- tracing food at the speed of thought. And uh, that's really, you know, a great example of blockchain, not just transforming business, but also transforming, you know, just the way we live. And, yeah. and I think that's kind of what inspires the IBM Corporation, the, all of those angles that I just talked about. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I know that, the, I, I guess that this is what you would classify as like some of your cross-industry solutions, right? Like, as you mentioned, you all are thinking about food supply. You're also thinking about supply chains. I've seen some news around that. And then especially recently, a lot about trusted identity, um, which mm. there, uh, it has been a huge topic of discussion on this show. So things working across different industries. But I know that you're you're also thinking uh, about like specific industry verticals, right? Everything from like uh, insurance to the, the automotive industry and government and media. Uh, so I'm curious, like, could you elaborate on some of the ways that IBM is using blockchain technology in these verticals right now and, and maybe where you're seeing uh, success, whether that be from, as you mentioned, a business perspective or a, a blockchain for good perspective? Yeah. And it's interesting as you kind of look through these and, and work with different user groups, patterns start to emerge. And while there are very specific industry use cases, like for music around digital rights management, would you think that identity, when banks are signing on users and they have to do processes like anti-money laundering and know your customer KYC rules, would you think that they were the same? On the surface, they, you probably say they're they're probably different but the way we use blockchain in these scenarios are quite similar like we whether it's a piece of art you know that has been digitized or a song that someone has written or your name address telephone number and you know your credit score this is these are digital attributes that the owners rightfully own and should lend to others based on rules or contracts, smart contracts, let's say. So, you know, I, if I have a song, I should be the one that controls the rules of how that song gets played, who can get, who, who plays it, what does it cost to play, et cetera. Perhaps we don't need significant numbers of people in the middle to help that along if you can set the basic rules and those rules can permeate across the whole, let's call it supply chain of music. But again, the same thing with identity, like my age is, you know, it's a personal attribute that's important. You know, if I'm a youngster and I want to go to, um, you know, vote, or if I'm in college and I want to go to a bar and have a drink, you know, we have rules about that and I need to prove that those facts, but, you know, I may not want to, you know, share where I live with the bartender. I just may want to share my age, but the only choice I have today is to share my driver's license, which has both on that. So, you know, being able to control, put the control back in the hands of the rightful owners of digital data is something that crosses the industries. Although you can get very, you can get highly vertical, whether it's music, as I said, or, you know, bank onboarding, you know, for people signing up for bank accounts or credit cards. There's a lot of common patterns that IBM, I mean, that that blockchain allows you to solve and IBM is involved with those. 
And, you know, there are things, holy grails that have been out there, like triple blind identity exchange. Like, what does that mean? It's simple. It's no avoiding being tracked and traced digitally. No mm. one who wants to be tracked and traced unless you want to be, but you can opt in. But, but it means the, the digital data requester doesn't know necessarily who the provider is. So it's the provider being blind to the consumer, the consumer being blind to the provider, and then the network provider being blind to both of them, right? Blockchain provides an environment where you can do triple blind data exchange. And I think that allows you to solve a lot of problems, you know, around ultimately things that are important to all of us, like identity theft. Yeah. Uh, and so, so again, the horizontal problems. There, there are a set of horizontal problems that uh, get solved and once solved are picked up in industry verticals quite nicely. One, one thing that I, I'm interested in in particular, as IBM in particular ventures into all of these different verticals, we've, we've spoken to some great guests in, uh, over the past few months, some of which specifically tackling uh, identity and rights and attribution within the music industry, others that are just focused on digital identity. And one consistent theme has come up. And I'm curious as how much of a culture shift this has been from a business perspective in IBM to enter into really a, a whole new business model where I guess traditionally, especially with things like cloud services, like the onus is on IBM and other corporations, right? Like owning data. And now we're moving into this world where the business model is kind of letting go of that ownership and kind of the moat around that and venturing into what is probably unknown business territory for even seasoned businesses right now and putting the power back into consumers. How, how, how much of a challenge was that from an internal business perspective to try and both get internal buy-in to go after this kind of thing and even realize the business potential behind some of this? Yeah, uh, Michael, that's a great question. You know, and many companies have been boasting that data is the new natural resource or it's the new gold. But the fact is, is it was gold that didn't belong to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, I, I think uh, there lies a challenge and an opportunity. I mean, you know, if I got a forensic report from my cloud provider that provided a audit trail of what happened when my data entered their cloud, I would be more likely to, and, and, and it was third party verified, you know, um, it wasn't just, hey, take my word for it. When your data entered my cloud, it went here and never left. Like I, I would wanna see the trace, the trail of, you know, when that data went across different internal networks and, you know, was, went through routers, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd, uh, I trust that company more if, and, and I'd be willing to give my data to that company more if I knew what happened behind the curtain of the cloud. And so a, as a user, I can see a better world with more trust and transparency. So it really, the onus gets back to the business so how do you implement that? You know, how do you implement that trust where it may not just be, let's say, the IBM cloud. It may be what happens as it traverses within the IBM cloud. Um, I think this is, you know, a new angle to really look at, you know, whether it's blockchain for good or uh, applying to AI for good and really how blockchain could provide that balance, you know, mm -hmm. because you know, we're working with, for example, we're working with a, a, a uh, not-for-profit organization called Humanity, and they're tackling, you know, parts of this, which is, you know, first and foremost, it, it gets around, it's around the theme of self-sovereign identity, but it also provides a marketplace for users to, again, find places where their data could either be used for good or for good and for profit, et cetera. So, for example, you know, if I if I have a health problem, and I I'm too busy to go look up all of the clinical trials that are out there, um, you know, 
maybe I wouldn't mind putting some of my health attributes out there anonymized and be pinged periodically to say if there is a clinical trial that I can participate in. And maybe if I'm having trouble paying off my, my health premiums, that if they were, because last I checked, you get paid for participating in certain clinical trials that I got paid or this network can help me at least, you know, counter counterbalance some of the payments on my health premium. That's a win-win. So there are business models out there that can still, re, you know, respect the data and keep the data as being, you know, controlled by the rightful owner when you can provide that audit trail, right? The provenance. Yeah. And I think, again, that's where blockchain helps you. So playing into the the good cloud or the good AI or the good whatever, I think blockchain could add the good to that by really providing that trust foundation for data, for permissioning, and also to provide that audit trail. So you don't have to guess. I mean, you get, I think the the real challenge is usability because, uh, you know, how, how it's really the systems that make this sort of participation doable by a mortal. I think yeah. those will win. And then that forensic report that I talked about, I mean, I don't really want a forensic report of, of <laughs> packets passing by routers. No, but I, somehow it has to be both trusted and, and also understandable. So I do think, you know, there, there is blockchain really could help um, and is helping uh, on some of those basic principles of data is the natural resource. But and help it put the resource back in the hand. But I also think it's creating ways for businesses to strike a deal with the owners of the data so that yeah. it can be used responsibly. And I think those businesses are gonna have a leg up mm -hmm. in, in in the race here. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the point around usability as well. It seems like the the takeaway from what what I'm gathering what you've just said there, Jerry, is really around transparency is what you're able to deliver here and cutting out unnecessary intermediaries. But in amongst that, myself and Austin, we we continuously talk on the podcast. Austin's background is in user experience and design. And like what we consistently see within this space is really poor usability. And some of the like companies that are new and up and coming within the general blockchain and cryptocurrency space, the likes of Coinbase and Co seem to be at the forefront because they've just really nailed the simple solution of delivering a good user experience to people. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think there, there are certain key principles of blockchain like trust. You know, how do you visualize trust and what would give you confidence in seeing something? I mean, you know, you, you go into a restaurant and you look up in the corner and you see a score like that was given by the health department and you say, okay, it was given in an A, you know, an A or, or, or a, you know, a 90 out of a hundred, I'll, I'll eat in this restaurant. But would you join a blockchain network that had a C or, or, or a 65 score for a trust score? It means what? There's unsavory people on this network. What is that? What, what, what would a low trust score mean? But these are questions that were, we're looking at it in IBM uh, around the IBM blockchain platform specifically is, you know, as you bring institutions together, how do you instill trust in, in the network and in the participants in the network? You know, how do you ensure, for example, that uh, if the policy is, is, is set properly, where if you are to make a change in the network, it requires other network members to uh, actually vote or weigh in, right? So it's, how do you do things like network management in a trusted way, right? Mm -hmm. If it's if blockchain is a team sport, that's one thing. But then how does the team, I don't know if you've ever run a three-legged race. It's not easy sometimes getting coordinated. So how do you, we're always used to being, you know, in charge of our own world. But uh, blockchain is about um, having control, but not exclusively being in control. So when you talk about usability, you know, doing team-based network management, you know, doing team-based code reviews of smart contracts before they get deployed. I mean, this is not how um, the corporate world works today. It's all about you. It's about, because you're the one that's responsible from a regulatory and audit perspective. You're not necessarily responsible for what the other group does. So as we think about blockchain as a 
as bringing multiple institutions together. You know, these group-based user experiences, I believe, will become more important and abstractions. You know, I made up the idea of a trust score, but, you know, we do need things to progress how groups do governance. I think that's an important uh, aspect of blockchain. Yeah. I think you're onto something there and and likely uh, wherever the nexus of usability and user trust and respect hits, um, that that will be the most advantageous position to be in, right? I think that so, some teams are doing that certainly better than others um, or and others are, you know, too far to to the user respect, but no usability side or vice versa. One way I think that could be interesting to, to tackle some of these problems is, you know, there's a lot of people in the space that, that are thinking about similar problems. It seems that most of us are aware of what the problems are. Uh, it's just a matter of coming up with the proper solution. We've noticed that IBM has partnered with a number of existing blockchain projects so far, which I think is super cool. Uh, one example is that you partnered with Stella, uh, Stellar for your WorldWire product. Do you foresee more of these kinds of partnerships being formed in the future? Yes, ab- absolutely. You know, we, we do believe there is no single network that will rule them all. Um, now, the other side of that coin is I hope there's not a million networks either. So <laughs> be careful what you so, wish for, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. So so this would then imply that networks will have to work together and interoperate. And interoperate is is a word that's often thrown around, but there is there's important meaning to it. Uh, you know, we we're we're kind of looking at two archetypes around blockchain. One is the network creator. And this is like, you know, when you think about the food trust network, there was a group that got together and said, we want to create a new network from the ground up. And I think for that, we have a toolkit based on the Hyperledger fabric and our IBM blockchain network that really helps a group quickly code, deploy, manage, and operate that network. And and there you go. There is another network in the world. So there is another archetype, which is, I don't necessarily want to create a new network from the ground up. I want to join a network or I want to extract value from an existing network. You know, I want to, as a developer, use the SDK so I can code an application, right? But what we're seeing is that, you know, it's important for networks to have an API. And like any, you know, entity in this API economy, you know, building a mashup is an important way for businesses to rapidly rapidly develop it develop valuable applications. Mm. I, I forget what the statistic is, but each, you know, most mobile, modern mobile applications use about 17 APIs from different services. So, you know, having blockchain networks available, you know, you have a, a food network, you have a trade finance network, you know, doing the the financing for the food uh, shipment, you know, you should be able to build a mashup where you use both, where a single institution could use the APIs from both those networks to build an application. Now, of course, if you're known as a different participant in other networks, that can be troublesome because now you have to do identity mapping and things like that. Mm-hmm. If payments are, you know, apples and oranges across those networks, it'll slow things down. It won't be impossible. So the more we can do around, you know, common identity, ways to tokenize and have currency kind of interchangeable across networks that will help go a long way to help you know network uh, interoperability so we really see in the latter part of 2018 and 2019 you know collaborating and working with network providers like the stellars of the world like the sovereigns of the world mm. and other types of networks i mean we have I mentioned our food network. We have our many partner networks that we're, you know, working on help stand up like WeTrade, you know, CLS working on uh, cross-currency netting. You know, there, 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 there's many of these networks out there. This is why this is why we were thrilled to um, to sponsor and to um, help bring in the Hasera Unbounded Network Registry. Because, you know, like the Yellow Pages, what, what the Yellow Pages did for the Industrial Revolution, I think the Yellow Pages had a big hand 
in launching the industrial revolution because it put businesses on the map. You knew how to pick up a phone and call. Blockchain kind of suffers from, especially permission blockchain. People call it private blockchain. I like to call it more permission. But there is a notion of these permission blockchains of not being on the map. So how do you put them on the map? How do you advertise them? How do you get them discoverable? And so what you're telling us, Jerry, is the next killer app is the yellow pages on the blockchain. Is that what you're, you're telling us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or the, yes, uh, or the yellow pages of blockchain networks. Yeah. And I, and I think that's an important advancement that we're just seeing happen. And uh, Hesera is a small company in, in uh, California that, that uh, stood up uh, the unbounded registry. And um, mm. I suggest folks go out and Google that because it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to see the number of networks uh, working under different technology bases. I mean, there's Stellar is out there. You know, many of the networks I referenced were out there, regardless of the architecture or the underpinning DLT technology. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're out there. And I think that really will start to motivate this network of networks view of how do you start building killer mashups between blockchain networks. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that develops over the next three to four years in particular, because it seems like where we're at right now, there's there's kind of a split camp where a lot of people are building out projects and they're trying to almost just build a moat around their own protocol or their own token, making it not as interoperable with other things. I personally can't see that being a good strategy for the future. The more that we can create kind of seamless connectivity between different platforms, even with stuff like Ethereum building common standards like ERC-20 so that yes. people can easily build on top. It just facilitates more, right? We applaud that. We absolutely applaud that. In fact, we um, the work that we're doing in Hyperledger, in fact, Hyperledger and Enterprise Ethereum recently kind of cross-joined each other's foundations. So mm -hmm. we expect more collaboration now between the... Uh, EEA and Hyperledger. In fact, many members of that group are members of both groups uh, anyway. So it was, you know, kind of we're neighbors anyway. But um, the work I mentioned, Hyperledger Fabric, which is the DLT technology that we're putting a lot of engineering focus on in IBM and powers almost all the networks that I mentioned to you before. We recently did some work with Project Burrow in, in, uh, in Hyperledger which is um, an implementation of the Ethereum virtual machine. Mm. And you, you said the magic uh, word, if it's really a word, the ERC-20 uh, protocol. Mm. I mean, now that we have the ability in Hyperledger Fabric to run smart contracts in, in an EVM, it really opens up the market to a whole variety of smart contracts, especially the ones around ERC-20, which have been vetted by legal institutions, et cetera. So we're very excited about that. You know, utility tokens, security tokens. I mean, there's a wide variety of capability out there. And now it's just been opened up to the uh, Hyperledger fabric world, uh, which is pretty exciting to see that kind of cross-pollination occurring. Yeah, 100%. So just before we wrap things up, one thing I did just want to touch on, especially around things like partnerships, Jerry, is... Um, I, as, as Austin pointed out, the, there's been a bunch of uh, partnerships that IBM have been forming, and it seems like you're forming more and more. If if there are listeners of the podcast that are running their own projects and want to see how they might go about forming partnerships or just simply start gaining more exposure to the IBM blockchain offering, what's, what's the best way for them to navigate lining up conversations or just getting started with uh, their first interaction with IBM? Yeah, I mean, we we do a lot through our website. So, you know, ibm.com slash blockchain. There's, believe it or not, we do look at the contact us <laughs> when you do do, do that. Um, that uh, our Twitter handle is very active. So that's another way to get our attention. So through our block, so social media, you know, our, our, our uh, website and, and Twitter is a great way. But also meetups that we do, especially in conjunction with the Linux Foundation and, and the Hyperledger project. That's another, we're always there. Uh, not just us, but a lot of our cohorts like uh, 
Intel and Cisco and companies like Digital Asset Holding and Hasera, the one I mentioned, you know, big and small companies. So it's a great place. You would not believe the things that have happened, like meeting up with um, a group that started up out of a, 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 a MIT incubator uh, called True Tickets. They have a, uh, an active blockchain network right now that, you know, if you think about a ticket as a, 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 for an event, as something like uh, that you'd want to do digital rights management on, that the ticket is actually owned, you know, by the sport venue that issued the ticket or the, 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 the rock band that issued the ticket and make sure that the scalpers aren't getting all the value if the ticket price were suddenly to vault up. You know, that came out of a meetup discussion. And, and now we have a great relationship with, with that company. So, yeah, I mean, um, we'd love to hear. And, and again, we do believe that there's so many transformative power. There's so much to that thought of a transformative power of blockchain. But the one thing, and this doesn't come along many times, especially if you're a technologist, is the notion of blockchain for good. So we're always interested in entrepreneurial things that do also do good. You know, plastic bank, you know, that is converting plastic to, to-, to a token that can be traded in for, for textbooks and things like that. I mean, there's so many stories out there that are great entrepreneurial ideas, solid business ideas, but also do good, right? And those are the ones that will certainly catch our attention, probably a, a, a bit more than than some of the others. So we'd love to talk to you if you're out there. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think for anyone listening, I think that's a really good way to start gaining more exposure, not just IBM, but to a bunch of different companies in the space. On behalf of myself and Austin, Jerry, thanks so much for taking the time out. I know you're a really busy guy. It's been great chatting to you on the show. And yeah, we're both really looking forward to seeing what's next for both you and IBM in in this rapidly evolving space. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you having me on the show tonight. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show both myself and Austin your appreciation, we'd love it if you could spend some of your time adding a quick review on the iTunes store or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also check out and visit us at thecoinoffering.com. Follow us on Twitter at the coin offering and you know what you want to just shoot us a quick email chat to us make suggestions tell us how terrible we are send us an email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com thanks and hope you enjoy the next episode the contents of the decrypting crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.